Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 1865 Match Report on the night that Nottingham Forest drew one all at home to Aston Villa. In a little while I shall be talking about the game with Baz and we'll also have a view from the opposition and discussing whether Steve Cooper has managed to stop the rot and whether Steven Gerrard is in trouble over in Birmingham. Now, uh, first of all, the team news. So Forrest did make some changes. So we had Dean Henderson in goal, a back four of Serge Aurier, Steve Cook, Scott McKenna and Harry Toffolo. Cheku Kuyati was alongside Ryan Yates and Remo Freuler in the middle of the park. And Emmanuel Dennis was up front, flanked by Brennan Johnson on the right and Morgan Gibbs-White on the left. Now, hello, Baz. Um, it was a hard-fought game, probably fairly low on quality if you're a neutral, but it's one of those whereby, selfishly, from a Forest perspective, it's kind of, you know, we OK, we'd have liked to win, but if we weren't going to win, then that's the kind of performance we needed to see, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think it would be fair to say we basically set out not to lose and we achieved our goal, which which considering what the last five games or so have been like, uh, achieving that goal is, is quite an important one to get to. Yeah, I would say so. And and you could tell that from, from the team selection, couldn't you? Now, um, we'd been discussing both in our WhatsApp group and I discussed with the marriage on the Midlands at the weekend that... Um, Forrest needed to go with three three kind of men in central midfield and the formation that they chose, if not quite the personnel, reflected the way that they finished the match against Leicester when they did look, OK, 3-0 down, but they looked a bit more solid in that second half and although they lost the second half 1-0, there was a little bit more shape and a little bit more something there, wasn't there? So let's talk through those changes. Um, Serge Aurier and Harry Toffolo in the fullback positions. 
I'm imagining Lottie wasn't on the bench, but Nico Williams was. So I'm imagining that was partly, at least, because Steve Cooper had faith in both of the new fullbacks to maybe hold their position a bit better in the back four. Yeah, uh, I'd say both Nico Williams and Renan Lottie, um, they're not the most defensively minded players. So if you're playing as part of a back five or a back three with two in front, then that's okay because you've got that extra man to cover. But in a back four, if you've got two players bombing forwards constantly and not really uh, thinking about coming back as much, then it it leaves you wide open. So both uh, Toffolo and... Aurier are much more solid defensively, and I think that showed today. Mm, okay, and in the middle of the park, uh, we did go with Remo Freuler sitting in the number six position, and Sheku Kiate and Ryan Yates flanking as kind of hard working number eight. So it meant that there wasn't the same kind of creative impetus coming from the midfield, but I'm guessing that, you know, that's why, um, you know, that was done to shore up. To shore things up, yeah? Yes, and the the key thing for me um, is... Uh, what's his face I was saying earlier? Uh, Madsen mm-hmm. at Leicester was basically saying we knew we'd be able to get in between their midfield and defence, so basically I tried to play there, and that's where he got his goal from. Um, whereas today, Freuler sat between... Mm. in front of the defence, behind the other two midfielders, and denied them any space, and I thought he ran the show completely. Mm, yeah, well, we'll definitely be talking about him a little bit later on. Um, Morgan Gibbs-White and Brennan Johnson very much playing in the wide positions, although Gibbs-White in particular dovetailing quite a lot with Emmanuel Dennis, who likes pulling out to the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. Again, we'll talk about both of those guys a little bit later. But um, I think that's important to say is most of the time the shape was much more 4-5-1 or 4-1-4-1 rather than 4-3-3. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth and... And you and I, we've been podcasting about Forrest for a long time now, and we have made the point on several occasions that tactics and formations are not necessarily one and the same. So although the formation changed to give us a slightly, hopefully more solid shape, the most telling thing was the tactic. For the first time this season, we were playing with a low block. Yeah. Uh, the the people around us, you could hear the the gnashing of teeth and the frustration because... They were saying, we need to be defending higher up the pitch, but we were really, really compact, and we were just sat in front of our D, and we and Villa couldn't find a way through for most for the most part. I think Henderson was the least busy he's been all season. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, from memory, I think he only really had one save to make, and that was from an Ollie Watkins header in the second mm. half. Um, and even then, it was relatively routine. And but, to be fair as well, Cook and McKenna didn't really have that much to do, which is also important. Yes, yes it is. OK, let's talk about some of the things that actually happened in the game. Um, first of all, uh, S- Steve Cooper, he's he's not one to hog the limelight. So unlike when Billy Davis was announced as a manager and Stuart Pearce had that rapturous welcome, he kind of slipped out the tunnel and people were like, oh, he's there, let's applaud yeah. him, rather than rather than the kind of rapturous welcome that, that we'd all like to have given him. Um, but he, he got a warm ovation, I think it's yeah. fair to say. Um, and I think there was, a, there was a real... I think he was very keen to repay the faith that the fans have shown in him by showing that he can adjust the way he set the team up. And also, I think the other thing is that the players were keen to show that they 
they understand, they, they, they get it as yeah. well. Um, so things did look a bit more solid from the off. And, and, and crucially, and excitingly, Forrest took the lead after just 15 minutes. And it, let's be honest, it was the first real attempt on goal from either team, yeah. wasn't it? Some good hard work from Emmanuel Dennis meant that Forrest uh, had a little break down the right-hand side. Villa conceded the free kick in the left-back area. And then Morgan Gibbs-White took the free kick. And it was a decent delivery. I'm going to just say it. Emmanuel Dennis headed in. He, he, he was well-positioned. It was a bit easy for him, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was a good header, but I've, I've not watched it back properly. But I think he was pretty much unmarked. So, so I mean, Villa's Villa at fault, but it was also very well taken and nice to see him getting getting a goal like that. Yeah, very much so. And um, and and Forrest, you, well, it was, it was that classic thing. Look, we've seen relegation teams before, so it was the mix of of. Jubilation and relief yeah. as well, wasn't it? Um, and 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 good for Dennis because uh, he got he got his goal, and um, and you know he he really worked his socks off tonight. So so good for him to get that goal. Um, now the lead didn't last too long, which has been a familiar tale this yeah. season, hasn't it? And it was another long range shot where a player was able to get a shot in from sort of 20, 25 yards out. Now, was this more of the same, or did this one feel a bit different? It did feel different. Because we were playing this low block, and because we were sat so compact, without that space between the defence and the midfield, um, Villa couldn't really do that. But um, Yates headed the ball clear from one of their attacks... And then we've just watched it back now and it looks like he got a bit bundled over and trodden on or something. And that's kind of where the space came from for... It was Ashley Young, wasn't Ashley it? Young, Ashley yeah. Young, to, And it was a decent strike. Um, but, yeah, it was another strike from between the defence and the midfield from 20-odd yards beating our keeper. But this time, Yates was livid. Cooper went, went and charged off to have a word with the fourth official, but nothing came of it. Mm. Um, and um, and yeah, so so the space did open up, but it opened up for an entirely different reason. It wasn't our naive defending; it was because Yates was kind of out of the game for that 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 second. Yeah, um, I guess it shows that there's still a lot to learn, though, isn't there? Because um, given the way that Forest had set up, the fact that there was still that gap there shows that there was there was something something not yeah. right. And I mean, from what I've seen. Um, and we are recording this straight after getting back from the match, so we, you know, we've not kind of we've had a quick look at the highlights, and that's about it. Um, but from what I've seen, people are kind of lauding the strike from Ashley Young, and he did hit it hard and low and true. And I don't think you can attach a huge amount of blame to Henderson for not getting there because it was so powerful. Um, but yeah, again, we don't want people to be getting shots in in, in those situations. Mm. And then not long afterwards, Villa did kind of try and break the lines again and they did put the ball into the back of the net but this time Ollie Watkins was flagged offside now the thing that we've often said and last season especially we said we don't want to talk about referees but the thing that made a lot of fans in the uh, Brian Clough stand livid is the fact it came from a foul throw but we all know that Matty Cash takes foul throws Hmm. He took a foul throw. His leg was up in the air. His hands were in completely the wrong position. Villa got, went forward. and so. But by the time that Watkins put the ball in, it would have been too late for VAR to bring it back even if yeah. it hadn't been offside. So there's, let's just say there's still room for improvement when it comes to officials. Well, 
I mean, to be fair, I think the referee was infuriating, but I think he was infuriating as much because of the way Villa played or set out to play. Um, they're, they're a Steven Gerrard team, and he was a physical, niggly player that got in people's faces, and that's what Villa did. And it was really, really infuriating to watch. The referee actually kept control of it quite well, I thought, but it wasn't pleasant in any way. Mm-hmm. And so that that whole incident is kind of just reflective of the way a lot of the, the match planned out. Um, what worried me, I did think it was off. My first thought was, was he offside? And then I saw the flag had gone up. But what worried me was, this is coming straight after they've scored. Is this going to be another three-goal collapse? Mm-hmm. Uh, and luckily, it wasn't. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And and you talk there about about the kind of the, the niggly nature of, of the game. Yeah, it's 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 prob- It's one of those as a neutral. Um, I would say it's kind of high on endeavour and low on quality. Yeah. Um, and and some of the kind, of, basically some of the scraps that we saw kind of showed that, didn't they? Um, I mean, you, interestingly about the referee, I think. During the game, myself and uh, you know me and, and and various people around in our part of the ground, I think we felt that the linesman in front of the Brian Clough stand, in particular, he was watching a different game. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed uh, certainly quite a lot of fifty fifties, which he gave completely not not necessarily in Villa's favour, but just completely the opposite way to what you'd expect. Yeah. Um, Steve Hodge on Radio Nottingham was actually very complimentary about the referee. And he said that the one thing that he did do is that he didn't allow the kind of the gamesmanship and the kind of the cheap dives, didn't allow people to get away with it. And, and Ashley Young, as we mentioned before, he was trying it all the time in the second yeah, half. Yeah. And in fairness, he didn't get away with any of them. Um, but there were a few a few moments where you just think... Mm, mm. So a couple of scraps weren't there. So um, And in particular, I think... Uh, most of them were starting off because of of niggly fouls, where the the person being fouled was kind of would understandably turn around and kind of square up to the yeah. to the aggressor. Um, most of it handbags, but I would say that you talked about the type of player Gerard was physical, niggly, in your face. Douglas Louise mm. was the guy who did that for Villa, and to the life of me, I have no one, I have no idea how he didn't have a yellow card at the end of the night. But he did a really good job of basically shithousing, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And you were screaming, how many more times does he have to foul people? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I, as, yeah, he, he, he got my go. And, and um, from my point of view, it's just that thing of, like, repeated fouling is supposed to be a yellow card offence. Mm. And the ref didn't worry about that, rightly or wrongly. Um, let's move on to the second half, um, which... <sighs> There's not a huge amount to report, in fairness. Mm. So, in the second half, I didn't even realise this until I was watching the video back. I went onto um, the Sky Sports website, and uh, Villa had a penalty appeal after about an hour, which was news to me, but Esri Konza went down in the box. Was that the one we said, where we said, oh, he was luck- we were lucky there? No, no, that's the one where, where we go, I have no idea what happened there. All oh, right. But, but there wasn't a massive appeal, so it looks like I think Yates' foot went through Konza as he went to clear it. I think it would fall into the into the kind of category of you've seen him given, but it's harsh if it is given. Mm. I think, as usual, what's happening is across the space of a game weekend, when there's decisions given in some matches that aren't given in others, that's where the spotlight comes in. 
Um, Forrest did have a couple of efforts as well. I think um, the most exciting one was uh, quite a nice counter-attack. Emmanuel Dennis sprayed the ball out wide um, and then it went to Brennan Johnson. And again, he, he falls into the category of players we're going to talk about later. <laughs> um, and Brennan Johnson cut it inside to Morgan Gibbs-White, who did a little pirouette and then basically he's doing a bit of showboating at one all. Um but he did a little pirouette and then tried to kind of dink it with the outside of his right foot. It went a good few feet wide. Nice effort. Didn't trouble the keeper. But if it had gone in, it would have been something special. Um, and then the other moment uh, was Cheku Kayate. Ball broke to him on the edge of the area. He had a strike which had decent power. Bit too close to the keeper. Bit of a save for the cameras from Martinez. Uh, and But, you know, it shows that... Both teams made the keeper make a save at least. Um, and yes, it got a bit niggly in the last 10, 15 minutes, I would say, as you'd expect. Now, in those last 10, 15 minutes, you mentioned earlier the people around us getting a bit agitated about Forrest playing a low block. I thought with about 15 minutes to go for about a 10-minute spell then that maybe we were sitting a bit too deep and inviting trouble, and especially as Villa made subs and went 4-2-4. What did you think? Well, I think also we we opened ourselves up in a way. So we kind of undid the low block a little bit because when Aurier went off and Williams came on, well, it had two effects, and again, as you say, we'll talk about Brennan Johnson but it kind of released Brennan Johnson a little bit and gave us much more of an attacking imp- impetus because Williams is obviously a much more attacking player. But it also opened up the game a lot more and so I think that's why Villa went four two four because they could see there was going to be opportunities for them to, to get through us. Um, and instead of it becoming more exciting, it just got became even more niggly, but a bit more end-to-end as well. Yeah, which I kind of, I guess, is what you'd expect when you've got two teams who really, really need a result, but also <laughs> scared of losing. Um, so, okay, well, we it ended, it ended one all, and in just a minute, we're going to hear a view from the Villa end, and we shall talk about some of those players that we mentioned earlier. The eighteen sixty five match report. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello everybody, my name is Neil from For the Love of Pomegranate, Aston Villa podcast and I was delighted to be asked on by Rich and the guys to, I suppose, give my thoughts on what I felt was an extremely frustrating um, football game. Uh, the majority of Aston Villa games under Steven Gerrard have been incredibly frustrating and I think this is another one in a long line or litany of of games for, but I come away from it and I'm kind of wondering to myself, what is the point of 
having all the players that Aston Villa have, the likes of Coutinho, Buendia, uh, former England striker and Ollie Watkins, Brazilian international Douglas Luiz, Scottish international who can't stop scoring for Scotland and John McGinn, uh, up-and-coming talent like Jacob Ramsey. What, what's the point in having all these when we play the ball and we pass the ball around in front of, of teams? Um it's uh, from from my point of view as an Aston Villa fan, I found that game extremely frustrating. You go away from home and you've sixty percent of the possession, and you look toothless and scared to to do anything. So that's my rant about my own football club out of the way. Um, with regards to Nottingham Forest, I have such good time for Steve Cooper, your uh, your manager. I think he's a proper football coach, um, somebody who's done his apprenticeship essentially. Um, there's no errors or graces about him. Obviously, he's coached at um, he's coached at championship level with teams previously. Then got the Nottingham Forest job and did what I think every single other football fan, probably outside of uh, outside of Derby County fans, but uh, he did uh, what every single other football fan in the country wanted and got Nottingham Forest back into the Premier League. And and for that, I think he deserves serious credit. And for you guys to have given him another contract. I was as happy as any Nottingham Forest fan to see that man get uh, to get his his contract extended because he looks like a really good coach. And you guys were really well coached today. He changed up the formation slightly. Um, obviously, brought in Ryan Yates, who look he did what he was supposed to do inside there. He was made, he was captain tonight. I think there was some statistic was it whereby you guys have had multiple captains this this year. That's what uh, Steve Cooper sees in these players, and and, and I suppose in, in the changes that he's made. Well, I thought Ryan Yates was uh, did exactly what what uh, you guys needed him to do inside there. Um, Emmanuel Dennis for the goal. I must say that he probably won't score an easier goal all year from the point of view that we parted like the Red Sea. Uh, all our players either thought the ball was going to the penalty spot or to the front to the front post and Emmanuel Dennis didn't even didn't even move. Didn't even make a move and he just headed that ball in past Martinez. Um credit to him, he took his chance. We don't have a striker who can take a chance at all at the moment. And it's it's incredibly frustrating to see the amount of times that we try and cross the ball in um, to our, our our lone striker up front and he can't get anything on it. Uh, your defence was really well marshaled today, although I did think that we got down the side of of, of your defence a bit, a bit more than the, specifically in the first half. Uh, second half, not so much. Um, I thought your two centre-halves, Scott McKenna, really looks like a good leader out there. Um, he's bringing the Scott McKenna from um, from Scotland form uh, to this to this Nottingham Forest team, and uh, if he continues to play like he did tonight, I thought he was really good tonight. I thought he he snuffed out a lot of chances that that uh, our players, that, or sorry, the few chances our players tried to create. I think he snuffed those out. Um, but I think all credit goes to to your that midfield three of um, Kuate. Uh, Fuller, uh, Fuller, I think is that how you pronounce his name, and 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 Ryan Yates. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. And um, if you guys can continue to keep that rock solid uh, bank in front of that back four, uh, I think Nottingham Forest will begin to pick up points and and, and run up the table. Yeah, Aston Villa got their goal back after you guys scored um, from a thunderbolt from Ashley Young, but. That's what we're hoping for at the moment. We're only hoping and crossing our fingers that moments of individual brilliance can get something because we have zero attacking play. We have zero attacking structure. We have zero attacking impetus. And um, 
as I say, you guys can probably tell it's raw enough directly after the game. I'm I'm recording this at ten past eleven um on Monday night, so it's very raw after the game. Um but I very much question where Aston Villa is attacking um where where their attacking uh, impetus comes from uh, under this current regime under this current manager whereas when i look at your team i can see where you, where your structure and uh how how you guys were coached today it was very much to get back up in the horse after a 4-0 loss against Leicester and uh, you guys very much did that and uh, I wish you all the best in the, for the rest of the season. Proper football club. And I would be delighted to chat to you guys uh, again later on in the season. But um, yeah, thanks. It was, you know, it was uh, it was one of those games tonight, I think, from an Aston Villa point of view. But Aston Villa didn't create anywhere near enough chances or were not clinical enough or were not good enough in the final third to win that game. So all credit to Nottingham Forest. And I hope you guys do well for the rest of the season. This has been Neil from For the Love of Paul McGrath, Aston Villa podcast. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Okay, thank you very much. Um, It seems as though the Villa fans um, are baying for blood and have had enough of Steven Gerrard. Uh, That's not our problem, but I've certainly spoken to a few who've been saying I would have got rid a few weeks ago. Again, not our problem. Let's talk about stuff to do with Forrest. Um, Steve Cooper said, it's a step in the right direction. It's not our ambition to be drawing games at home and not having much of the ball, but because of the circumstances, this is a forward step. There's a lot of things we need to improve on, but we also should look at the things that we we did well. Um, And he also said on Radio Nottingham, his interview there, he made a point of saying thank you to the fans as well. Mm. So, uh, you know, he, he knows how important it is to kind of have that connection. Um, now, speaking of connections, I thought that this was the match, you know, what are we, eight, nine games into the season? This was the most chemistry I've seen in a Forest team this season, I think, in terms of the players gelling and, and, and working together. What do you think? Yes, we were definitely structured in a way we've not been this season. I think there was one, was it... Uh, I can't even remember. Was it West Ham? Mm-hmm. There, there were moments in that game where we looked like Forest from last year, but then we had Mangala and Niakate playing, so that we had a bit of pace. One thing I noticed today was there's so little pace in in the side that we've got. Yeah, we put out on the pitch, um, so we can't play like we did last season because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had that structure. Everyone seemed to know what their role was. We had players, people said about the Leicester game how the, the players were yelling at each other. Today, they weren't yelling at each other, but they were telling each other where they expected them to be. And and Freuler in particular was, was sort of doing a, the, the sort of on, on-field captain kind of role. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about him because he's a player that... Um, I think when we signed him, people were expecting like a dynamic number eight, and he's not. I would have him actually as more of a Didier Deschamps kind of character. So he's somebody who's very capable, very able on the ball, but he's not going to kind of run forward and do these dynamic passes. What he is going to do is he's going to try and get a bit of a stranglehold. And, and as you say, kind of he had a, a bit of a captain's role. He was the one who was kind of being the on pitch general, wasn't yeah. he? Um, um, or as. Brian Clough would have said in the olden days, he puts his foot on the ball. 
Well, yeah, yeah, very much so. And there were a few moments where, I mean, I, I had been saying from the little we'd seen of him so far, he's obviously a player with ability, but I worry about it's taking him time to adapt to the Premier League. And today he looked far more on the pace, but on the, you know, on the other side of that, there are a couple of moments still where he wants to slow the game down, which I guess is perhaps natural when you've been playing in Serie A yeah. for, for, for a little while. Um, and, and I think the Premier League is all about when you actually you know, press the button and, and, and kind of add an injection of pace into what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as a general, he did really well. And I potentially owe an apology to Steve Cook and Czech Kuyate because when we were heading to the ground and we heard the team news... I had a little moan about, well, Cook's not covered himself in glory, that lack of pace, um, his lack of discipline, and, and Kuyate, I think he's, he, he's not impressed me considering the amount of experience he's got because I think his positional sense has been, has been found wanting a lot of the time, his, his reading of, of where he should be. The formation change and the move to the low block meant that both of them could do their jobs a whole lot more effectively, would you say? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of interesting. I, I was reading an article the other week about how some teams, when everyone knows their job, it's all... Because Coyote plays, has played at centre-half as well, so especially in the back three. But he does seem to be a bit of a headless chicken. He's sort of all <laughs> over the pitch. But... If everyone knows their job and knows when to cover, then it's all right. For and we had it last season, where one of the centre halves bombs forwards, and suddenly they're on the other side of the halfway line making tackles up there because the other players know they're going to do that and, yeah. and are ready to cover for him. Today, because we had three in midfield and Froiler sitting, it meant that Yates and Kiate could make make themselves mobile and push themselves all around the field, and and so that that lack of positional discipline or whatever didn't matter as much well, and it meant that, that there was a screen in front of Steve Cook so he wasn't forced to make the last ditch tackles that require that pace yeah so he wasn't exposed as much and that's yeah like you say it meant that he, he the kind of the errors that we've seen him make they didn't those situations didn't come up in the first mm. place and and Cook did the stuff that we know he can do very well which was head it kick it yeah um Kiyate didn't have to cover as much ground because of having the midfield three rather than just being two sitting midfielders. And I thought that was really important. He knew that he could run that left channel. Yates knew he could run that right channel. The positional discipline was a whole lot better um, because of the formation change, I mm. thought. Um, let's talk about um, a couple of other players. Um, Harry Toffolo, we mentioned earlier. Um, I think Renan Lodi is clearly a really good player. Mm. Whether Renan Lodi is a player who's being able to acclimatise the Premier League, just like Freuler, is the jury's very much out on that. Whereas the advantage of Toffolo, no, he's not played much Premier League football, apart from the few games at the start of this season. But what he has got is he's got a good knowledge of the, hu- the hurly-burly of the English game. And that's what he does well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought he was outstanding today. Um, again, I think... Lodi would probably work very, very well in a back back five mm-hmm. where he has the freedom to bomb forwards and he doesn't have to do as much defensive covering. Whereas in a back four, yeah, what Toffolo did, he could tuck in, he could make sure that he timed his runs to go forwards at the right time, but he was also back and covering. Um, it was quite clear that um, it was Young and Matty Cash. Yeah. 
they were pushing right up. Um, and that's exactly the thing that last season would have stopped us playing because if you push our, our wing-backs back, then yeah. we had no outlets. They were trying that against us, but it didn't work because we had Aurier and Toffolo, yeah. who weren't bombing forwards. They weren't our outlets. Mm. And and also, crucially, I mean, their their wide forwards were Philippe Coutinho on the left and Emi Buendia on the right. Now, Coutinho, he didn't pull up any trees. Let, let's be honest there, Kay. He looks a shadow of the player he was. Buendia, however, is a good, tricky player. And then he moved into the number 10 role for a little while as well. Um, Buendia did give Toffolo a lot to worry about, but I thought that Toffolo and McKenna in particular, as a unit, on some of those moments, they, yeah, there are a few hairy moments, as you will get against a good winger, but as a unit, they kind of combined to kind of crowd him out quite a few times as well. Yeah. So there's some good signs there about, again, about gelling and partnerships. Yeah, and understanding uh, what, what needs to be done. Yeah, okay, and then let's move further up the pitch. Uh, let's talk about Morgan Gibbs-White because he was terrific playing on the left-hand side, not only in terms of his skill and his uh, his eye for a pass, um, also his tracking back on that left-hand side was just terrific. His work rate was incredible. And the thing that I never realised about him, he's got a He's got an incredible leap on him, hasn't he? Yeah, he can there's, really there's win few, headers. There was a few occasions where the ball was played high and long, basically up the left wing, and he out-jumped his man and sort of... Because he's got this skill on the ball as well, he out-jumped his man and found one of ours as well. Yeah. Which was... Yeah. I, I have to say, I think it's not quite working for him. Mm. But when it does... I think he's going to be my favourite player of all time because the <laughs> things he can do yeah. with the ball are incredible and his vision is incredible. But just at the moment, he's just overhitting his passes a little bit or just getting them half a yard the wrong side of the player. OK, so let's think... You know, we talk about the, the forward on the other side. So there's one moment in the second half when Gibbs-White played an absolute peach of a pass and it was just too far for Brennan Johnson to get to. Now, I said at the time that, and, and Johnson hadn't had a good match no. for most of the game, like he'd been toiling away but hadn't really been able to get into the game at all, and, and that kind of thing of, you said that it was much easier for him to get around players in the championship and he's mm. still working out how to do that. Yeah. Um, now, I also think that in that moment of Gibbs White playing that pass to the, out wide and Johnson not getting there, I did think to myself, I think that Brennan, because he's always had this amazing pace, that he's almost relied on, like, well, if you put it somewhere, I'll, I'll run after it and get it. And actually, in the Premier League, players are bigger and stronger and faster. So he's got bit better opponents. And it, I'm just thinking he needs to be a little bit smarter, things, things, things like how he angles his runs and stuff like that. So that's something that I think will work, because we have seen just embryonic signs in a couple of matches that Johnson and Gibbs-White could work well together. Yeah. So I'm going to put a question to you. Is it that Gibbs-White, he's not quite in tune yet, or is it the rest of the team aren't quite in tune to what he can do? Um, a bit of both, because it's not just with Johnson. There was a couple where he played passes through for Dennis, and mm -hmm. Dennis was just the wrong side of the defender, mm -hmm. or, or whatever. So it's... It's one of those, I think, yeah, once he gets in tune and the others... With the others, I think it's as, as much they have to trust him that 
no matter where they are on the pitch, he will be able to find them mm. um, as well because it is that. So, like, yeah, like you said, Johnson didn't angle his run right, but that's because almost because he wasn't expecting to uh, to have the pass played to him mm. in the first place. So, yeah, it's, it's it's about gelling, and I think I can I can definitely see why Forrest made such a big deal out of chasing him. Mm, okay, and last but not least, let's have a chat about Emmanuel Dennis. Um, when he signed, we were under the impression he was best playing as a wide forward, although he could play at the middle. Uh, today, he showed himself to be far more of a number nine than I ever imagined he could be, not just in terms of the way he took his goal, but he, I mean, his his work rate was incredible and even though sometimes you criticise centre-forwards who drop off and chase back, chase lost causes, you didn't feel like we were missing out in that respect because he then tracked forward again um, and he put himself about loads, worked really hard. I mean, I thought that was a terrific full debut for him. Yeah, I thought he was, certainly in an attacking sense, he was was our our best player. Yeah. Um, He made life very, very difficult for Villa. Uh, as you say, yeah, he, he tracked back, he tracked forwards. He is, apart, him and Johnson, they're, they're probably the, the main outlets for pace in the side. And Johnson was having an off day for most of the game. So, yeah, so he offered that that bit of pace. Um, that's probably, he's very different to a one year mm. in, in a lot of ways. Um, neither of them, I think, are your big target man. No. Um, I think, but I can see why... Again, with Gibbs White behind him, that could be a really lethal partnership because he 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 was looking for the through balls through the defenders for him to run onto, and that's something that that Gibbs White can give. Yeah, 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 and um, yeah, like you say, I think they are very different types of players, and I guess having those kind of different styles of players is going to be important. Having said that, it was Sam Surridge who came on as a sub mm. for Dennis. And um, presumably in in the hope that um, Surridge would, if if a chance comes out, he could rely on his finishing ability, maybe um, slip him in in the channels using the Gibbs White through balls. Didn't quite work out that way because we were on the back foot for a good chunk mm. of the time that Surridge was on the pitch. Um, okay, so we will leave it there. We will be at the Wolves match and we will have a match report for you. Uh, after that game um, I just want to give the last words to our friend the marriage on the Midlands uh, because he made the point in our weekend podcast that when you are the worst team in the division there's no excuse for not being the hardest working team in the division and that is where I thought Forrest came on leaps and bounds tonight they they really really plugged away and um, put in what, what what they called on Radio Nottingham a Ryan Yates performance and and that's that's what we need isn't it yeah absolutely Sports Social Podcast Network Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.